So what's my future? You don't have one. I see you, but you can't see me. Welcome to the Catacombs of Halloween Horror Nights podcast. This episode is part three and the wrap up of Halloween Horror Nights 19, ripped from the silver screens. I'm Matt and joining me for this episode is my co-host Quint. Hello. And of course, you probably know by now, but if this is the first part of the 19 series you're listening to, Karen is away in Germany. She will be back with the next episode. So me and Quint are doing it. I guess old school style can it be old school if it's only three years old. We'll call it all old school style. Uh, it's fucking all old for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So just me and Quinn for this one. So we've talked about the mazes. We've talked about the houses. We've talked about the story. Now it's time to get into the shows. And there were two shows this year, of course. Rocky Horror Picture Show or Tribute, which is the same that it's always been. But if you don't know it, I kind of recapped it last episode, but I'll do it one more time to put it in the show's episode. It is the songs from Rocky Horror pieced together with the kind of iconic scenes and lines that introduce and exit those songs done live by incredibly talented performers. I used to love this. I used to be a big, well, I'm not used to be a big Rocky Horror fan. Used to go to it a lot through high school and my early years of college. Loved seeing this live. It's a shame that they stopped doing it a few years ago, and it's an even bigger shame that I don't see it coming back anytime soon because its venue of Beetlejuice is gone. Not just Mm -hmm. slightly gone, it is completely gone. So who knows if we'll ever get it back in some way, shape, or form again. Not anytime soon. So Yeah, and it was was basically a, a condensed version of the show. Um for you know, the, so that they could pack it into a show for the 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 uh, Halloween Horror Nights, and it was. It, I mean, I never actually went to the full show. We sat, we sat through some of it because our feet were tired, <laughs> and I've never, you know, I've mentioned this on the episodes before. I've never been a big Rocky Horror Picture Show, but I can attest to what Matt was saying, and that is that the the um, entertainers that were doing it were fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, well worth it, especially if you had any interest in, in Rocky Horror Picture at all. It was absolutely worth it. Yes, yes. And in fact, they went they went as far as to actually uh, embracing, allowing, I'm not sure what word you want to use, the interaction with the screen. When you would shout things at it, if you, went, if you know Rocky Horror, you shout things at the screen. If there were things, scenes that were being reproduced, you could shout out. There was always like this little section. It was normally to the left front. I think it changed a couple of years, but it was usually the front left section of the theater. That's where those people sat and yelled at the screen. I never sat there, but I did mumble at the screen because, of course, I know all those lines as well. Being <laughs> Having it a big, <laughs> long history with Rocky Horror. But this is one that has been recorded and filmed and there's plenty of versions on youtube so if you've never seen it and you are a rocky horror fan check it out because like quint just uh, uh, backed me up on performances 
fantastic. So oh, definitely that leads us into the traditional show of Bill and Ted's excellent Halloween adventure. All right, here we go. Bill and Ted. So the start of this, there is kind of a, uh, a preface to the story. Instead of building up to what the story is, it's all done in a news report. And it's done with J. Michael Rowdy, who was the, the head of uh, creative and development and entertainment for Halloween Horror Nights at the time. He's actually playing a news anchor, and he's talking to an on-site reporter at a movie theater. And this reporter is explaining how all the major movie characters have disappeared. Okay. So we kind of get the premise that there's going to be a lot of characters that disappeared for one reason or another. He actually cites some specific movies, which is unusual. Usually they're introduced as a surprise, but we're, we're actually being led down a road to see what we're going to get. And he mentions Twilight. He mentions X-Men Origins. He mentions uh, God, Watchmen. Twilight back then? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Yep. So Watchmen, all these characters are gone. So that leads into the opening dance number. And this particular theme has, and it's funny because it's like at the time it kind of it doesn't throw you for a loop. It just seems very creative. Now it just seems obvious. And I don't mean it from Halloween Horror Nights. I mean it from the state of film. At the time it was very creative that they had superhero women like you know, the uh, the the ones they had, the X-Men, the Watchmen, um, boy, that's the ones that popped me off the top of my head, uh, but but super women version of them, and then these socially awkward guy stereotypes. For 2009, that was clever. Now you expect that because it's superhero movie every month of the summer for the past three years, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And it's and it's also, you know, one of those things where, you know, especially this year with Wonder Woman coming out, it's like superhero women are fucking taking the stage. And I have to say, it's a damn good thing. That's going to you know what? That is a very interesting point. What they're going to do with that, because I mean, forget I am really not saying this from any um, perspective of any agenda or any internet butthurt i am saying wonder woman is very difficult to make fun of that's where i'm saying from i'm coming from i'm interested if they're even going to touch that one because i don't know what you could really make fun of that and be funny and i'm saying again i'm not saying it that like if you make fun of wonder woman oh you're misogynistic you're this that, and the other thing that's not what i'm saying i'm just saying i don't know how they would really poke fun at that one yeah, I don't know. There, I mean, there were some problems with that movie, but they weren't with her. Her. That's the I'm, thing. That's like, the mean, only her, problems yes, yeah. I, and maybe that's what they'll do. I was just going to say, I think if they're going to poke fun at, at that movie, it's going to be the, the other woman who stole the show while they were in London. I don't remember the, the actress's name or the character's name. Uh, you know, Steve Trevor's assistant. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who yeah. was just bang on that whole movie she was she had the one-liner she had the i'm hoping that um the the girl that did frozen that did the frozen <laughs> song is gonna play her <laughs> and just start a, ripping on other people oh, you are on fire tonight oh my god you've had some of the best ideas you've ever had on this show in this recording session well thank you <laughs> it's all the stone beer that i'm I drinking clearly is, yeah I think she would be able to, because cause that chick has so much wit and so much character. Oh, yeah. She's done so many good things. If she steps into those shoes, she's going to kill it. Yeah. That's 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 a great idea. Wow. And which which usually when we have a great idea, they have a better idea. So now I'm actually really looking forward to it. 
I mean, I already was, but I'm saying usually when we think we have the best idea and they can't possibly improve upon, they have a better idea. So <laughs> there you go. Usually. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, usually. Yeah. I'll, usually always yeah, either, you know, tomato, yeah. tomato. Usually and always. Cr- there's a cross section in usually and always, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And that's what they do. Yeah. yeah. All right. I so. <laughs> prefer to choose always or usually just because it leaves me some wiggle room. There you go. Right. <laughs> All right, so um, wow, that was uh, uh, I think everyone's used to our rat holes. So dance number, superhero women, geeky guys. Eventually, everyone's clothes comes off, so none of this mattered anyway. That's how. That's what always happens. So, so now we get to the start of the show, and I guess we made the premise or, or set the stage with that newscast, so we could start the way this show starts, and that starts with the uh, tail end of. Bill and Ted actually kind of waking out of a dream. You have kind of like that heart music and a little bit of the lights and kind of like a flowy fantasy-ish background to get them to actually wake up into real life. So it's we get the idea that they've been asleep, maybe not necessarily, you know, by their own uh <laughs> their own uh choice own volition uh, volition that's the word i was looking for their own volition so now they're waking up as they're waking up the lights are coming up on the stage and we can see what's going on and we can see that the stage this year is a cave there's a lot of rock walls some vines a, a, a cave but along with that i'm setting the stage of the cave because along with that there's also a lot of wires some jagged red metal sheets some silver struts and some old flat screen monitors and well at the time there are new flat screen monitors on the wall and some wooden <laughs> crates and pallets scattered all around as well bill and ted they're now awake they don't recognize where they are and they don't know how they got where they are so they try to start piecing the past 24 hours together there is a big gap in their memory from having drinking and waking up on stage pretty much i just described the plot of the 2009 movie the hangover oh god <laughs> i was waiting i was like i need to stop and just get his reaction well i never saw it okay um, i heard i heard it was funny there's actually not a whole lot it's not all hangover it's just that's that's where we get the premise so don't worry that's about the opener. that yeah it's the opener. Yeah. yep yep there is another there's that's a good there's another just uh, homage to it later but not as big so with no, it's fine i mean it's i heard it was a funny movie i just never saw it right i got you yep so stage set so enter the villain of the story, not a movie character. Not that it always is a movie character, but this specifically is not a movie character, but I refer to it as a movie trope character. He is the nerdy, lonely, young, awkward guy. And what he's done is he has drugged Bill and Ted and brought them back to his lair because he wants them all to be best friends. Is his name Rilo Ken? <laughs> right okay no not yet <laughs> but actually oh shit sorry. this guy could have turned into right again god dang that's that's pretty good too so this one trope leads to another and it turns out that this guy is not only lonely not only kidnapping people to be his best friends but he is a collector's of sorts and when i say that i really can't help but thinking about the simpsons treehouse of horrors episode where the comic book guy was a supervillain called the collector but that's another show yeah it <laughs> okay. is 
Well, actually, you know what I said? <laughs> Since this collector is the same, because he was collecting characters from the pop culture universe the entire year and collecting them all in this one place. And now this actually is, uh, I doubt you saw this movie. I saw this movie for one reason, and I'll tell you in a second. This is actually kind of sort of a plot element from the land of the lost. No, didn't see it. Okay. So that is this. The plot element is that this is just one year of collecting, but the land of the lost is pieces of history brought to this land from the dawn of time. I can only say I know this because Danny McBride was in land of the lost. And that is the only reason I saw that movie. Oh shit. I probably should see that then too. Well, I mean, it's that he's at his tamest. Well, not, He's at his tamest maybe until Alien Covenant because he was disappointingly tame in that movie. But it's Danny McBride. I'd watch Danny McBride say, read the freaking phone book by putting a motherfucker in there every five names. <laughs> yeah, you know, Danny McBride is an acquired taste and I have acquired it. Yeah, me too. Yep. <laughs> so now with explaining what has happened, he's explained how he's done it and how he's done this. And again, I'm talking about the villain character. He's, he's done this by using the technology of the time traveling phone booth in conjunction with a Twitter plugin he created and wired it up to this his entire layer cave to travel in and out of not just time, but fictional worlds. So now at this point, that explains what all the red sheets of metal and the silver struts and glass are. And at this point, it becomes painstakingly obvious there is no traveling time booth in this year's Bill and Ted. Um, hooking up a time travel machine to Twitter is just a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, Let me just state that right yeah. up now. No, hooking anything up to Twitter is a bad idea. Yeah. So, but it's, um, this is, a. Uh, it hasn't been since I think the first year at Islands of Adventure that they haven't used the time traveling phone booth. Cause I don't think they were able to adapt that tune circus stage to make it appear and reappear in time. So this is a first in a many, many, many years that we don't actually have the time traveling phone booth for Bill and Ted's. I'm, I'm going to have to say I don't like that. Yeah, I know. Right. It's not, I wouldn't say it ruins it for me by any means. But it seems like something's missing. Right. A time machine. (laughs) Yeah, like specifically the time-traveling phone booth is missing. Right. Bill and Ted begin to uh, protest, obviously. Uh, They say that they can easily take on this villain because he's this little wormy, nerdy guy. So the villain, to defend himself, he brings out his main henchman. And it's a slea stack from Land of the Lost. And I have to stop and say that this is my number two all-time pop culture childhood fear are fucking slea stacks. Why? It, it, <laughs> I wasn't expecting you to I ask. I don't know them. Like, I don't know Land of the Lost, so. You don't even remember the original with the, uh, the Sid and Marty Croft stuff? Nope. Okay, they're big lizard people. The reason, I don't know, they didn't outright scare me on the show, but it is the first nightmare I remember having is being chased by them. So they've scared me ever since oh, then. Oh, God. So my- Okay, I, I get that. For the record, anyone that's counting, my childhood fears are E.T., followed by Slea Sticks, followed by Ventriloquist Dummies, followed by Lanyards. <laughs> I just- I'm just kidding. That's the funniest lady. thing you've said in six episodes. <laughs> Thank you. I try. I've been writing that for three years. <laughs> okay. So That's awesome. the Slee stack just kind of, they, they're just, 
they're they're big lizard people. They hiss since you don't know who they are. Other people may not know who they are. They kind of hiss and they're they're big and scary looking. So he kind of just stands between the geek and or the nerd and Bill and Ted. And now the the um, collector starts to show off some some more of his collection. First set of collectibles that we see are Kirk, Spock, and Ahura from Star Trek, and we are talking the JJ Abomination version of this, not the not the good Star Trek. Oh come on, JJ! The first one was pretty good. The yeah. set, the third one was good. The second one was just yeah. Yeah, I don't care for any of them, and we won't get into that in this That's episode. You suck, <laughs> I suppose. It's because I'm afraid of lanyards. So at this point, I do feel a little vindicated about my opinion of this movie because apparently the writer for this year's Bill and Ted agreed with me because these characters are about as horrible as you can make them. They are going out of their way to be unlikable. It's they're not it's too early to call them millennials, but they are just like obnoxious young punks which I mean it's a young cast. I mean it I don't want to. I really don't want to get into a, a Trek conversation, but it's a very young cast compared to where we left off an original Trek before J.J. Abrams took over. So they are written extremely unlikable. Basically, they are the writer, whoever wrote this this year, amplified what I just liked about everything about this movie. So I'll get off my soapbox now and get back to the Bill and Ted story. You're wrong, <laughs> for the record. Okay, <laughs> that's, that's, that's your sole defense. I'll take it. Makes it shorter. Well, your sole your sole offense was I don't like it. Oh, so my sole defense is you're wrong. <laughs> right. I think we can just leave it at that and right. be, be done. Right? You're right. You're right. I'm dwelling way too to much death, on this. We'll still we beat it to death. We'll still end up with the <laughs> part where you think there's bad things and I think you're wrong, and and we'll just leave it there. Yeah. Okay. So as per formula, these characters needed an adversary, and their adversary appears as the original series Captain Kirk with the entire exaggerated emotions, the weird uh, speech pattern. I almost did it there by accident. I really wasn't trying to do a Kirk, the weird speech pattern. Of course, the over-top William Shatner, Captain Kirk. So now, after the, the brief altercation, we get another set of the collection to enter the stage. We have Wolverine. And now at this point, it has to be yet another version of Wolverine because we've had quite a few not counting logan so this one is a bit of a fat dumpy wolverine he jokes that the character was a little overused which it they this is before <laughs> the appearance in the new x-men movies and then logan and so they they had to do yet another redesign of the character uh, a few of the Watchmen arrive. Basically, um, everyone but not Doctor Manhattan, because I guess they didn't want to paint some guy, get some guy naked and paint him blue every night for Bill and Ted, especially in that humidity. Uh-huh. That would be bad. Besides, nobody nobody wants to see Blue Dong, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, Night Owl, Rorschach, Silk Spectre. Uh, was it? Uh, what was the other one? It's the Egyptian name. Ozymandias or something like that. Ozymandias. Yes, that's Ozymandias. Ozymandias yes, or Ozymandias. Yes, yeah. those, those I'm reasonably sure. I'm pretty sure were the, the four main that came out there. I don't think the comedian was out there, which is ironic considering the Walking Dead connection all these years later. Right. So, but <laughs> And just, just also considering that in the Bill and Ted show, the only one they didn't get was the comedian. Yeah, right. Yeah, good point. Yeah, I guess they wouldn't want him. <laughs> So, um, 
now we had to get a set of bad guys to face off the Watchmen, and we get the G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra villains, but we don't get the film versions. We go all the way back to the action figure versions of G.I. Joe as they're introduced with along, or along with the G.I. Joe theme as they enter the stage. And the highlights of this were the Baroness and the Cobra Commander. They're the first to approach the Watchmen, start getting the upper hand. We have to have a good guy side of G.I. Joe, I guess. And Snake Eyes comes out, and he's out there to help the Watchmen. The Snake Eyes costume is actually really good. I actually like this one better than a movie. Not that I've seen the entire movie through, but I've seen stills of it because it was a media, a marketing blitz of it when it came out. But the Bill and Ted's um, action figure-esque Snake Eyes costume is actually pretty cool. Cool. I mean, I, I'm glad they went with the the um, the, the, the rather than going with the movie characters. I'm glad with, they went with like the the toys. Yes, that movie was probably a mess from what little I saw about it. Oh no, didn't dare it. <laughs> so at this point, the fighting begins. We get some weird lighting effects, which actually looks like a bit of a mistake. Like something actually went wrong, but it's part of the show because when the lighting starts to get a little wonky. Christian Bale, the not a character of his, but Christian Bale as a character, comes out berating the light technic- technician a la the viral set <laughs> recording that came out that year. Awesome. Yes, <laughs> that's pretty good. That's great. <laughs> there's a mention... There's a mention that these Star Trek guys haven't been seen for a while and what happened to them. And as if on cue, which of course it is a cue, a parody of the I'm on a boat video plays, but it's called I'm on a ship, meaning the Enterprise. And we have this new Star Trek cast doing a couple refrains of the song parody up on that big screen. So the fight continues. We have more characters float in and out. We have Mike Myers come in, and this is at the time, this is Rob Zombie Halloween 2, not even just Halloween, but Halloween 2 of the Rob Zombie version is out at this point. Mm-hmm. Edward Cullen comes out, and that's actually, that's the kind of the start and end of the Twilight. So it's interesting that they picked Twilight as a setup for the show, but we didn't get hammered with Twilight. Maybe... Uh, Maybe we again, Bill and Ted is an ever changing beast, literally. So maybe there was a little more. I was on just the thinking exactly what you're saying. And yeah, and maybe Twilight is something widely regarded by mm. Universal, I mean, by Halloween Horror Nights fans as something that shouldn't have a large presence in the event. Right. Because yeah, so. can you imagine a Twilight maze? <laughs> no. Why would oh I want God. to? I can. Oh, uh, I, I would. I would write the shit out of that. I would totally write that. Okay. Oh my God! And you know what? It would scare everyone who's not a millennial, and everyone else oh millennial that walked through it would go, "Why is this scary? Well, I don't get it." And every everyone who's not a millennial that walked through there would, would come out of there with the cold sweats. I, I know. Universal again. Call me. I don't charge a lot for these ideas. I've seen one Twilight movie, and I wouldn't even call it watching it because it was the Rift Tracks version. I didn't even do that. Oh yeah, <laughs> I can't tell you anything. About I know it. not of what I speak. I just speak it anyway. Oh god, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so there's no real fight victory resolution to this show, which is odd. Uh, there's more of a resolution from the collector who kind of just puts a halt to it all because he has the realization that they should just all be friends and that he was wrong to force everyone to try to get along 
wrong to bring people, wrong to blah, 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 blah. Let's dance. And that's when we get the ending dance number. And this uh, this is another a sobering thought as far as time goes. The marquee ending performer for this year was Michael Jackson. This was the year he died, 2009. Oh. Yeah. Didn't quite okay. realize it was that long ago. Um, and that's it for the Bill and Ted show. Now, but uh, I also added here, this is not it for Bill and Ted's involvement in Halloween Horror Nights 19. Before Halloween Horror, before Halloween Horror Nights even officially started, there the Universal YouTube page, or maybe maybe in the website, uh, either or, maybe both, Universal posted a video of Bill and Ted sneaking into Soundstage 23. Now, to recap from our last episode, if you hadn't heard that, Soundstage 23 was the home of the uh, Dracula and Frankenstein reimagining mazes. How they got this was they traded the security guard 10 minutes of phone booth time for the keys. I'm going to go a little bit since we, (laughs) since we made this into a third episode, is there such thing as 10 minutes for the phone booth? Because all the guard had to do was leave, do whatever he wanted throughout time and just make sure he returns at the point in time. That's 10 minutes from when he left. He could have had that thing for years. I would show up like fucking in my deathbed. Yeah, exactly. That's what that I was thinking. I was like, it doesn't work that way. You can't give him just ten, but it's Bill and Ted. What, what do they know? So they traded the the use of the phone booth for whatever time for the keys, and the first key that they used was to get them into Soundstage Twenty Three because they wanted to take a look at one of the houses for Halloween Horror Nights before anybody else. The door they went into took them into Frankenstein creation of the dam. So Bill was holding the camera and he is following Ted through the house quick. And we actually see, we get a full one minute preview of the house. That's a pretty significant amount of time before the event starts. And they kind of, they went through it um, kind of like in the middle. They went from the dungeon into Frankenstein's lab, which was the finale. When they get to, uh, when they start going through the transitioning from the dungeon into the lab, they switch on uh, some like this night vision thing. So you get that whole green haze effect to it. So we're looking through the, the lab through a green haze. As they're looking around, a character pops up in front of the camera and Bill and Ted run. And at one point, the camera drops and we see both Bill and Ted running away from the camera and the video cuts the snow. So that was actually a really cool, like practical preview of one of the houses for 19. That was a really cool addition to the pre-marketing of that year. I agree. That is very cool. I mean, you know, and especially again, going back to the, the practical aspect of things, because they can use Bill and Ted for whatever they want. They own Bill and Ted. Right. Mm -hmm. So using that for, uh, and using their, you know, what do you want to call it? Uh, cult icon status at this point of, of being in Halloween Horror Nights and using that in your advertising that way. It's just really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That was cool. I don't recall. I certainly don't recall them doing that before nor after. Um, time will tell as we move on. But that was the, that was the big one. And, to, you know, a, a whole minute of a maze and That's showing that much time. of a maze ahead of yeah. time. That's a lot of of. Yeah, that's a lot of exposure, especially what, to me, would be one of the headline mazes exactly. for the year. Yes. Yep. I agree. You know, so very, very it's cool. It's not the headline maze for the year. <laughs> it was pretty fucking good. So, yeah. uh, so once again, the website, 
Halloween Horror Nights 19 website was tied very closely to the houses. It added, again, another story element for those that were willing to spend some time to investigate. I explained it as we went through the houses. What I did want to mention is how you found it. You kind of had to dig for it this year. But once you found one, you found them all. And what was cool about this one is that it was a... We know the theme of 19, ripped from the silver screen, the Universal Palace Theater. When you started clicking around the different places and scenes and screens of the website, you eventually got to a concession stand. Once you started hitting concessions, that's when you got this story. So all the concession graphics had was the the hidden button, the hotspot for the stories. So if you clicked on the ice cream cone, you got one. Uh, it all it, all the all the the hotspots. It was ice cream cone, bag of candy, popcorn, soda, uh, nice. and a popsicle. And so that was that was really cool. So you got the stories through the concession stand. So that was. I mean, there was there was more to the website. There wasn't. I don't want to say there was no legendary truth. Chances are there was a Easter egg of legendary truth. When we get into exploring legendary truth, I'll have more details on exactly when and where it appeared, but it wasn't as heavy as the bloody Mary thing. Uh, I, I was just going to say, it was like, um, now that you're bringing up the, that stuff, I'm, I, I'm surprised that we've never seen Fangoria again. That's true too, especially now that you actually were, you explained in the last episode, the, what the tie in was with that. Yeah, it did. Yeah, you know they've got a magazine and they had a radio show and all that stuff. I'm I'm surprised that they, that we never saw them again. Maybe yeah. it didn't work out. I don't know. Maybe yeah. Maybe I mean I would have to think again speculation because certainly we learned last episode. I didn't know anything about those details. I would have to think it was not beneficial on the Fangoria side. Maybe from a financial standpoint, like what they had to invest to do this, because Universal has been that's also possible. Universal has been nothing but kind to. Well, let's just use us as an example. If they're willing to absolutely include us in what they do, it must not have worked out for Fangoria. Uh, that's that's my speculative yeah. guess. It would be mine too, because I, I mean, yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head there. I think because you know they've been awesome with us. I mean, we've been able to go into their studios. We've been able to talk to some of the, their ride designers, some of their maze designers. We've talked to Mike. We've talked to all kinds of people, and, and they've been nothing but open. So it must it must have been just something where the Fangoria didn't see the uh, the the turnaround or the, 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 you know, worth doing it again. Yeah, the return on investment on their, their part. That's it, yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, um, I, I do have a couple things to close out with, but to, to get this out of the way, rides and attractions that were open, uh, the standard set, Men in Black, Alien Attack, Simpsons Ride, Revenge of the Mummy, Jaws, Disaster, and the Hollywood Rip Rocket. Now, this is, I wanted to mention this because it harkens back to a story that just happened last year to you and I. If you'll recall, let me walk you down memory lane a little bit and explain to the people listening because they don't know this. Do you recall how determined I was to grab a popcorn box at the media party last year? Yes. And do you recall that I promptly left it in the dining area and never walked home with it? Right. Okay. Well, the popcorn box is kind of iconic for Halloween Horror Nights and the media in a sense. And it started here. So let me explain why. Halloween Horror Nights 19 media invitations were sent out in a popcorn box. This isn't the last time they did it, 
But to my knowledge, when I've been following it the first time they did it, that's why I wanted that fucking box so bad and I forgot it. <laughs> so the invite, and we're talking big media outlets. We wouldn't get one, but news, the big oh. sites that concentrate completely on theme parks, they got it, that kind of thing. It was a, it was, so you get you your brown box, you open it up inside, is that popcorn box, the same freaking shape and design of the one that I picked up and then promptly forgot to take home with me. But this one, this particular you one. Tell was, me, you didn't tell me the story ahead of time so that I could have reminded I, I you. You just said, oh, I, I need to remember this popcorn box. Like, All right, popcorn, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Right, so. like, you've got your 3D glasses. Shut up, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so this particular box, it was more blood. It was actually very bloodstained. When you opened it, there was popcorn in it. That was a little bloodstained as well. But inside it were um, two items. One was a steno pad that was handwritten, had pictures taped to it, paperclip to it, all kinds of things. And the other was a micro cassette recorder. Well, first, when you go through the steno pad, it pretty much is telling you the details and the story of the usher that I told you. But you get the sense that this was written by the usher. This is more or less his dossier. So you get pictures of some of the stories. You get handwritten bits of his rage against rude patrons. Um, it actually, the first page on there actually says that the, the September 25th at 6.30 p.m. will be the celebration of what he's talking about in the rest of the steno pad. So it's, that's the invitation, more or less, but with a lot more detail added to it. The micro cassette recorder, it's an audio recording of someone telling some of the story that I've told in these past three episodes. But as it's playing, it kind of fast forwards a bit without you fast forwarding it, just the sound of the fast forwarding. And you get the more it fast forwards, the more horrific the story gets. You get the details I told about people dying mysteriously. Uh, you got to get the story of those, the movie stories I had told before. And it fast forwards a little bit more. You then you get the history of the usher fast forwards a little bit more you get the sense or actually the person that's recording this it's not the usher it's someone else is in danger then one last fast forward you get the creepy slow talking voice of the usher himself telling you about the event and it is his verbal invitation to come see the universal palace theater and experience this event which of course is halloween horror nights 19 and then when you finally flip over the last page of the Cenopad is the official printed invitation for this. It's because of that first popcorn box, the first one that I noticed, I wanted one of those because they have them at every event I've been at, and I always forget <laughs> it. And chances are, if we are fortunate enough to be invited again and there's popcorn boxes, I will very likely grab one and promptly leave it behind once again. I'll make sure that happens. Thank you. Thank you. If they would make it into a no lanyard, there's no chance of me not getting it. Right, of yes. course. <laughs> All right, the last thing we need to do is Wayback Machine. That's what I have on my last note. So let's do it. What do we got? What are you gonna? What are we gonna start with? Scare zones. Um, sure. Let's okay. start with scare zones. Um, I'll let you go first. You you've been there. You saw this. Tell me what you would want to go you and know, revisit. It's funny. I, I, I was about to. S- to give you a big sigh and say, man, this is a tough year until my eye caught light, lights, camera action. It's got to be lights, camera action. Chainsaw drills real cheap in their own I, movie. Oh, God. Yeah, I got to see that again. I, 
I know, like as much as Apocalypse is like there for me and ready to be to be snatched up, I, I I'm with you. Uh, lights, camera, action! Like, how can you not want to see the 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 Chainsaw Drill Team in their own movie? You know what? That, this one is yeah. That that was pretty. That's pretty obvious. So let's cheat. Not that we've ever cheated in the Wayback Machine, but let's do it. Let's no. say. Let's say. <laughs> Let's say for some reason wires got crossed and we could go to a second scare zone because I think this is a tougher choice. What would be number two? It is. Um, and for me, it's between Apocalypse and War of the Living Dead. Containment's there, but War of the Living Dead sounds really freaking cool. But I think it's going to lose out to Apocalypse just because uh, it. it I mean, apocalypse. It's like, it's, it, yeah. It's, you know, it's funny. I was with you until I was like, I was actually making arguments for each one. It's like, what does each one have that I don't want to see again? Contaminant has the the archway. I'd like to see that, but that's not enough. War of the Living Dead, some of the best character makeups I've ever seen, but that's not enough. Um, Hollywood, uh, Harwood, dying. Um, cool all around, but. Um, I mean, I guess I know the fact that we're yeah. going to see Dying Double Feature later. Uh, Apocalypse all around is great. Then all of a sudden, I was like, ah, Circuit Freak doesn't have anything I want. And then it dawned on me, it has the Rat Lady. And I I think, believe it or not, with that single element, my number two is Cirque du Freak. Really? Yeah, I know, right? I'm oh, surprised yeah. see, to say that. See, and I'll take... I'll take post-apocalyptic over the rat lady any day of the week. Okay. And in fact, the rat lady should have really been in apocalypse because she'd have fit right in. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. It's just, she's just harvesting her own, uh, farm. She's farming. It's post-apocalyptic <laughs> farming, right? Cause the rats are going to survive us. Oh yeah, that's true. All right. Mazes. Yes. Okay. This is, I don't know. Let's see. It is tough. I mean, I, I I didn't expect it to be. I expected it to be a three way, um, but now it's a four way because I heard you what you said about Silver Screams. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> Silver. I would love to say Silver Scream, but it's um, it's and it's not obviously not bad. It just seems like it's like uh, these. I'll tell you what. It's here's where I'm coming from. Dracula, Legacy and Blood, Frankenstein, Creation of the Damned, and Leave It to Cleaver. All three of those are once in a lifetimers. I mean, they might do yeah. versions of them again, but we're not going to see these originals again. And those three are so right. tough to choose from. Yeah. Uh, I, I think Dracula drops off right away because we get so many forms of Dracula again from now to where we're going right now in time. I mean, from then, I should say 19 till now. Frankenstein, we had had Frankenstein in 2013 three in the classic monster house and again in 25 but we haven't had a frankenstein house and frankenstein is one of my all-time favorites but then leave it the cleaver has like the of all those i mentioned the biggest halloween horror nights community legacy and with that i don't even still have a freaking decision i don't know um man you know i'm gonna go against what my history and my fandom says I should go to, which is Frankenstein and pick leave it to cleaver. Interesting. Cause I went the other way. Okay. I went Frankenstein. Leave it to cleaver was right. Like, right. I, I went through the same process as you did. Silver screams is great. 
not quite there. These three other mazes are, are like the ones that we're never going to see again. I was fully with you dropping Dracula right off the top. Cause it was like, we've got a lot of Dracula stuff, vampires, whatever kind of the hothouse as well. Not execute, not bad. I'm not saying it was executed no, no. bad, like just not executed up to, uh, leave it to Cleaver and Frankenstein. But I think with what they did with Frankenstein, it beats leave it to Cleaver. Yep. To me. Okay. I can't argue that because it took, I spent a lot of time just now debating between the two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just think there's there's so much good stuff in Frankenstein that, yeah, I want to go that. Nice. All right. I think that's the last of it. Yes, that finally wraps up 19. So now that it's wrapped up, hit our social media pages up and let us know which one of these you want to take the Wayback Machine to, House and Maze. Our pages are Neozaz Podcasts on Facebook and Neozaz on Twitter and Instagram. So let us know which one you would go back to. I'm really curious. I know a lot of people listen to these history episodes have been longtime goers. And now we're at the point where I, I know a lot of people have been going. So I would really like to know after your first hand experience, which one you want to go back to. And if you haven't gone, as I want to know that as well. Let us know. Drop us a comment in the post, the episode post on any of those pages. All right, that wraps up this episode. We have got one more year to cover before this entire show changes because I'm going to tell you and Karen about 20, and then you and I finally start talking about years that we've gone together, and that is going to be a whole new conversation, I think. Yeah, definitely. I was actually thinking about that the other day. Where it was like, oh, man, we're so close to 21. So close, yes. Oh, this is going to be so much fun. So we still have to get 20 done, so we will do that. We may have a special ep- – well, we could always have a special episode because we could have an announcement. We could have some, some special guest. But what I'm referring to is I have a fun episode planned to pit you and Karen against each other with a pretty valuable prize that is valuable and valuable, I say, the valuable the three of us. But anyone that's listened to the show will understand where I'm coming from. That may be next if we can get everything to line up correctly, and that should be a lot of fun. And it's something that if you're a Halloween Horror Nights fan for many years, you're going to probably enjoy listening along with. More on that when we get to it. I believe that's going to be the next one. If it's not, then we're going to get into the 20. And, of course, there's always the wild card of any kind of announcement or any anything else that comes in between there. But the last proper studio recording episode may be this one, so stay tuned for that. Until then, I will say thank you for listening. Quint, thank you. Of course, not only for this episode, but it was fun going back to our roots and just having that conversation and going down to the rat holes that only you and I can seem to go into on these recordings. So this was fun. This was fun. I'm, I agree. It was a good night. I mean, I look forward to having Karen back, but it was nice to get back to the uh, to the roots there for a little bit. So yep. thank you for that. And thank you to everyone that listened. Um We'll be back with whatever comes up next, like I said. And until then, uh, I'll say one more time, thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Catacombs of Halloween Horror Nights podcast. The Catacombs of Halloween Horror Nights is a Neozaz Internet Entertainment production. For more great podcasts and original entertainment, visit our website at neozaz.com. The Catacombs of Halloween Horror Nights is not affiliated with nor endorsed by Universal Studios Florida. All Halloween Horror Nights properties, icons, titles, events, and related items are property, trademark, and copyright, Universal Studios, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. 
For more Halloween Horror Nights coverage, follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast and follow our Twitter account at neozaz. To help support the series and all the work we do at Neozaz, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Thanks for listening.